0: Today I want to be sharing some thoughts from uh, Matthew 6, and um, the passage that I'm going to be dealing with is from verses 7 to 34, and it's, kind of make it a little different, I decided I'm taking it out of the Good News translation today, so it causes you kind of listen a little differently, perhaps, than the way you normally hear it. It's funny that our memories as children often are formed by impressions of certain occasions. And one memory I had as a child is of a special meeting that was being held in our church in the fall, that sometimes it would happen. <clears throat> and I can recall there were a couple of men who were visiting from Nova Scotia. They happened to be uh, here on the island hunting, and they had come along to the service with some other people. And they were known to be leaders back home in their own church. And so they were asked if they'd be willing to pray during the service. Well, first one began his prayer. And he started reciting long passages of scripture. And when he finally finished, his companion got up and started following suit. (laughs) going through some of the recitation of the same things over and over again with long prayers and petitions and thanksgiving and flowering phrases. You know, I can't recall any of those words, but uh, I sure remember enduring those long prayers. Basically staying awake, <laughs> or trying to, as a kid. It's not necessarily the best impression of prayer, is it? And there are certain occasions in our life that we associate with prayer, formal gatherings for worship, public ceremonies, special family feasts and gatherings, just like Thanksgiving. We often associate prayer as being part of the gathering. But the question sometimes is how genuine are the times of prayer in those occasions? How sincerely do we take that opportunity to praise God and, and to seek His will, to thank Him While we even ask for more how sincerely do we seek his counsel and forgiveness and and really listen to his advice and how sincerely do we request his aid to avoid evil when we're in our relationships with the people and the things around us in this world we are constantly torn between the matter of prayer and possessions between service and selfishness between worship and worry. It's almost like there are two different conflicting lines in our lives. There's a, there's a vertical line that runs between us and God and then there's the horizontal line of this world and our relationships in it. And the vertical line is, is often influenced by our attitude towards God and that influences our relationships with the people around us at the same time. And then our relationship with other people around us, that impacts our view and our relationship with God, whether we realize it or not. And then our view of possessions drastically affects both of these things and jumbles the whole thing again. The question is sometimes, why? What's the motive even when we go to talk to God? Jesus said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand up and pray in the houses of worship and on the street corners so that everyone will see them. I assure you, they have already been paid in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what you do in private will reward you. When you pray, do not use a lot of meaningless words as the pagans do who think that their God will hear them because their prayers are long. Do not be like them. Your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. And so He gives us some sort of precautions about prayer, examining our attitude and our motives when we go. There's an ancient word in Greek, batologio, and it's often translated as being sort of senseless repetitions. (coughs) And it's kind of the attitude of keep on babbling. Kind of like blah, 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 blah. Or like a baby just kind of going on and on. Essentially, it's words. And, and sometimes we have to be careful that our, our mind and our mouth and our heart and our thoughts are all tuned together. You see, our prayers are not measured by weight or by length. By quality, not by quantity. God is impressed by the eloquence of our prayers, but the sincerity of our hearts. We're not to waste God's time trying to impress Him. You know the old kiss principle? <coughs> Keep it short and simple. Ecclesiastes five two said, "God is in heaven, and if you are on earth, therefore let your words be." you. Maybe I better listen to that myself. (laughs) Prayer requires more of the heart than of the tongue. And a person can pray long with false purposes. A person can pray long but really be focusing on the wrong God. In in 1 Kings chapter 18, you find there where Elijah was in the contest with the prophets of Baal. And, and they were praying on its head for, for basically about half the day that were praying to Baal. Useless. And when Paul was in Ephesus and the crowds there were opposing him, and they were cried out for about two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. So you see, time doesn't matter. focus of our prayers, God, got to be on the real, true God. When we try to impress God or worse other people with our many words, we deny that God is a loving, wise, and holy God who really cares about us. We have a battle, as I said, this conflict of this dual relationship between the world and ourselves with God. It's a matter of like two kingdoms, and we're kind of torn between them. I don't know how people with dual nationalities deal with it, but it, it's almost some like that—divided loyalties. And which one will win out: the spiritual realm or the earthly realm? And so, I think the, the purpose that Jesus gives to us, the model of prayer, is to focus us on where our, our real loyalty, where our allegiance, where our strength really comes from. And He provides to us what is a model prayer to remind us of our place in life in relation to the Supreme God and to remind us to be thankful to Him and to, re, to reflect upon our view of God and our relationship to humanity and prepare our heart and focus our minds to act on God's will. You see, we don't pray to tell God things that He didn't know about us before. He He already knows. Everything about our life, even before we were born, every thought we think before we even think it, every act we do before we even do it, talk about being like a wise father. But he still wants to hear from us. We need to pray to appeal to a loving God who wants us to bring every need and worry before His throne. And so that Matter of the model to focus our relationship. And he said, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven. May your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we forgive the wrongs that others have done to us. Do not bring us to heart testing. Keep us safe from the evil one." The question sometimes is do we seek a personal spiritual relationship with God or, or do we simply see him as the granter of wishes, the provider of favors, the helper who we go to when we finally get in trouble and we can't get out of ourselves? When we say our Father in heaven, do we recognize his place and our place, our relationship in, in status and relationship to his? God is the mighty sovereign of the universe who's created, governs, and he will judge all in the end. But he's also a father to us. It's not just my father. It's not just all about me. But it is our father because it is in relationship that we worship him together, not simply a singularity. Do we have a concern, a passion for God's glory and his agenda in the world in relationship to around us? So he said, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, everyone wants to guard their own name. You don't like your name being smeared, do you? And yet, we listen every day to conversations and God's name is certainly not treated with honor or respect the way that he he, he really should be. And we we seem to, to hear in everyday conversations, that. And, and we seem to need to be reminded that his name is holiness itself. <clears throat> and we need to resist the tendency to protect and promote ourselves first and forget about him. Kingdom come, your kingdom come. Looking forward to advancing his kingdom, and that involves our relationship with other people. Your will be done. The ultimate guiding purpose in our life. The important question is often, whose will is supreme in our lives? You know, sometimes you're asked to do something. It could be your spouse that asks you to do it again. Yes, dear. Doesn't sound exactly willing, does it? But if you say, yes, dear, you know, it's sort of a, more of a consensus compliance there. And in many ways, that is um, the way that we can approach what God asks of us in our lives. Your will, I'll do it. Or, this is your will, I'll do it. And the big difference in the matter of the heart and the, the will together. He also talks about the matter of give us today the food we need. Give our daily needs, the prayer for our needs, not our greeds, as the saying goes. Back in, in that time when, when he spoke to the people, a lot of them, they were working day at a time and if they went to a place, they got a job, and they got paid at the end of the day. Remember the story of, of the workers? And they just, if they showed up and they worked, they got paid. And if they didn't have work, they didn't get paid, they didn't eat Sometimes. And so the matter of give us this day our daily needs, our daily food, was something that was very real to them. And and what he says is, God provides. Don't grumble about it. But remember, he doesn't answer yes to every request either. James, in his letter, reminds us about our motives. In James chapter 4, he said, Where do all the fights and quarrels among you come from? They come from your desires for pleasure, which are constantly fighting within you. You want things, but you cannot have them, so you're ready to kill. You strongly desire things, but you cannot get them, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have what you want because you do not ask God for it. And when you ask, you do not receive it because your motives are bad. You ask for things to use for your own pleasures. Unfaithful people do not know that to be the world's friend means to be God's enemy. You see, selfish desire puts us on a conflict. It draws us closer to the world, but a lot of times it definitely pulls us away from God. God knows our needs, and he tells us not to worry either. He says, you know, he cares about everything in our lives, and, and Praying and asking is to draw us closer to him. One of the greatest antidotes to worry is is to be constantly praised and give thanks to God. Prayer focuses on the need to correct wrong relationships at the same time. Forgive us the wrongs we have done. As we forgive the wrongs that others have done to us. Old King James had it what, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Trespasses where another burden would would be debts. And the concept is that we pile up these debts upon our lives. And we can't get rid of them. God forgives them. And his forgiveness has to be copied. He forgives as we forgive others. If you jump down in that chapter 6 to verses 14 and 15, you find that there is a link of forgiveness and forgiveness. He said, if you forgive others the wrongs they have done to you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive the wrongs you have done. It's not so nice, is it? We want God's forgiveness, but we're not so willing a lot of times to give that ourselves. And yet forgiveness is required for those who have been forgiven. It's not an option. We don't have the luxury of holding on to bitterness towards others. And yet it's often in those everyday conflicts that we find that hard testing. It's often in those everyday conflicts that the opportunity comes for the evil one to come in and to create that testing. And so he says, do not bring us to hard testing, but keep us safe from the evil one. Testing, temptation, things that lead astray, could be things from the eye, or the stomach is Barry talked about, could be ambitions, and we see that in the next theory he talks about. But the thing is that God does not tempt us to evil, and He doesn't want us to seek evil. In fact, in fact, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that every test that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to people, but God keeps His promise. And He will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you are put to the test, He will give you the strength to endure it. So He provides you with a way out. Carl Spurgeon was a famous preacher back in the 19th century, and he said that the man who prays, Lead us not into temptation, and then goes into it looking for it, is a liar before God. In other words, if you say, Lead us not into temptation, and then you go out of the place and you start looking for something to get into trouble, you're a liar. James 4 says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. Be sorrowful. Cry. Weep. Change your laughter into crying, your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You see, God will rescue us from the evil one. But we must be realized we can never boast or rely upon our own strength. We can never simply hope that by going to the doorway of temptation, that we're going to be okay. Don't go looking for trouble. At the end of the of the prayer. Some manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And it's it's not certain whether that Matthew wrote that part or not, whether Jesus had said it and that, but it certainly is a very apt a fitting closing praise to God, because it reminds us that it's God's kingdom. It's not not this world that is forever. That it's God's power, not our might, that stands the test of time, and that it's God's glory not the fading glory of this world, things, that will be eternal. And then, for some strange reason, Jesus stopped talking about prayer and started talking about meddling and things of life. Kind of did a preacher thing. And he started talking about something that was kind of uncomfortable. And I noticed Tim didn't ask me to look at this next section, verses 16 to 18, and I wonder if he thought it would be a little bit too hard for us to digest on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> but Barry talked about it. Teaching about fasting. And he said, when you fast, do not put on a sad face as the hypocrites do. They neglect their appearance so that everyone will see that they're fasting. And I assure you, they've already been paid in full. When you go without food, wash your face, comb your hair, so that others cannot know that you're fasting. Only your father who is unseen will know, and your father who sees what you do in private will reward you. There's an old saying that to eat is to live, to live is to eat, to starve is to die, to die is to starve. But life is more than food, and Barry kind of brought that to our attention. Back then, uh, the, the, uh, the Pharisees typically would fast two days a week. Thursdays and Mondays, and Jesus said that they kind of went around, they made sure that everybody could tell that they were fasting with the look on their face, kind of the way that they looked. People said, oh, it must be Monday. Look at it. But the matter of the fast wasn't to show their holiness or whatever else. Jesus said that the matter of fast is a total, deliberate abstinence from food for a period of time to bring you into a relationship, closer time of spiritual devotion to God. That's the real purpose of it. And Jesus spoke about the matter of giving and prayer and fasting as things that he assumed his followers would do. And fasting isn't simply times when we're sick and we can't eat, or we've eaten so much that we're full and we don't want to eat the next day, or we're saving up space because we're going to be gorging in the next thing. But fasting is to help us focus beyond this life, beyond this flesh, The time to feed our soul in prayer. We run into a lot of conflicts, as I said, between the heavenly and the earthly. And the conflict between praying about what life, and the reality of life isn't easy. And so Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves riches on earth where moth and rust destroy, and, and robbers break in a steel. Instead, store up riches for yourselves in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and robbers cannot break in a steel, for your heart will always be where, rich, where your riches are. Generally, you take a look at any survey, and they'll tell ask people, what do they think that they need to find a good life? And more often they'll say, double the income. But the secret of happiness is not more, it's contentment. The Apostle Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Jesus didn't say it's wrong to possess anything and wrong, but he said it's wrong to fixate on amassing earthly treasure. When we are fixated about getting rich, the ancient Greek basically says, "Do not treasure for yourself getting treasure on earth. because it all is temporary. Peter says it in 2 Peter 3:11, since all these things are to be destroyed. In this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking forward, hastening the coming of the day of God. You know, I don't think I've ever seen a U-Haul truck following a hearse in the cemetery. I've never seen any type of uh, storage units next to mausoleums. And although the pharaohs of Egypt were buried with all kinds of gold and treasures. They thought they'd take it in the afterlife, It they didn't take it. <laughs> it was there for the grave robbers afterwards. God is wanting to see that the material treasures that He gives to us and blesses us with really are also an opportunity for us to use them for His good, for His kingdom, in blessing and other things. And that becomes the link between the heart and the bank account. He said, the, the eyes are like the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are no good, your body will be in darkness. So if the light in you is darkness, how terribly dark it will be. The old, um, the old versions have often talked about sort of a bad eye. In fact... The term, an evil eye, was a phrase that was used among the ancient Jews to speak about a person who was envious and covetous. Somebody who was discontent with what they had, who were upset with their neighbor's prosperity, who loved money more than anything else, and would do nothing in the way of charity for God's sake. The name Ebenezer Scrooge kind of brings that to mind. Jesus tells us that either our eye is directed at heavenly things and either full of light or it's directed at earthly things and full of darkness. Generous is the Spirit of God and that's the generous attitude that he wants us to have. We're happier more content when we have God's heart of generosity. But if we don't have it, our body is full of darkness. Jesus is teaching... Clearly priorities of life. And the first is that we must follow the will of God. Focus our attention and hope on Him. And God expects that will change the way that we work and live in relationship with Him, centered in our life, and the way that we work with other people around us. Except you cannot be a slave to two masters. You will hate one, you will love the other, you will be loyal to one, you will despise the other, you cannot serve God and <coughs> money. That's why I tell you, do not be worried about the food and drink you need in order to stay alive, or about the clothes for your body. After all, isn't life more than food? Isn't the body more than clothes? Look at the birds, do not, do the, they do not plant seeds, or gather or harvest, or put in barns, and yet your Father in Heaven takes care of them. Aren't you worth much more than birds? Can any of you live a bit longer by worrying about it? Why worry about clothes? Look how the wildflowers grow. They do not work or make clothes for themselves, but I I tell you that not even King Solomon, with all of his wealth, had clothes as beautiful as one of these flowers. It is God who clothes the wild grass, grass that is here today and gone tomorrow, burned up in the oven. Won't he be all the more sure to clothe you what little faith you have. Manna. It's the old word that we often trans- translated as money nowadays, but it was more than that. It was the whole material universe, the matter that everything around seemed to consume. And Jesus is saying that if our drive is amassing wealth, then that has become our master. Many people say they would love God, but their service of money would show that the fact is they don't do not. How can we tell for what we are serving? Well, one of the principles is that you will sacrifice for what is important to you, for your God. If you will sacrifice for the sake of money or getting rich, you will not sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. Don't deceive yourself. Money is your God. We don't have to be rich to serve Nana. We can be just as tied up and wrapped up in pursuit of wealth, whether we're rich or poor. And we can be just as unfaithful to God through care and worry as through greed and coveting. There's a difference between a godly sense of responsibility and an untrustworthy that causes us to worry. Worry has certain rewards, but not ones we want. Distraction, poor health, sleeplessness, stress. And if your God is mammon, then your life is cursed with worry. And in many ways, we're no different than animals, that we're just simply looking for food and shelter and everything else around us. Worry is irreverent because it fails to believe that God who gave us life will sustain us. It is irrelevant because it doesn't change things when we start worrying. It doesn't change the circumstances. And that's irresponsible because it, we waste time and energy in worrying. So often we worry about tomorrow. We don't, worrying about things of today is bad enough without worrying about tomorrow. Often we worry over things we have absolutely no control over and it's foolish, it's harmful. And Jesus said, sufficient for the day is the trouble of its own. He reminds us the importance of living for the present day. It it isn't wrong to remember the past or plan for the future. But to some degree, both of those are good. It's easy to become so focused on either the past or the future that we forget about today and the opportunity we have to do good even to those around us with what we have. The key thought at the beginning of the section was, first things first, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, using old King James. And he ends up this section by saying, your father, basically the same thing. know, Be concerned about everything with the kingdom of God and what he requires of you, and he will provide for you the things that you need. It's the same concept. He begins with matter of focusing on God. He ends with reminding us to focus on God. God takes care of us. You see, it's fairly easy to be to be a Christian here in church. We go out of here; it's more difficult in our homes or the places where we earn our wages. But we are to seek first the kingdom, and everything else will fall into place. That's His promise. If we plan on spending eternity with Him. It seems like a good idea to get acquainted with Him now, but making Him first in our lives. We made Him even so face-to-face sooner than we think. There's a story of a medical missionary who served for many years in in India. Uh, The area had a problem for some reason. The people would get to a certain age and they would have blindness. Uh, They'd be born with healthy vision but they would start losing their sight as they grew older. And this medical doctor missionary, he, he somehow come up with a process that would stop them from going blind and people came to him and he performed the procedure on them and they would leave realizing that they were going to be able to see for the rest of their lives. People never said thank you to him because that phrase wasn't in their in their dialect. They didn't have a word for thank you. But instead, they used a word that meant, I will tell your name. Wherever they went, they would tell the name of this person who had cured their blindness because they had received something so wonderful that it transformed their lives. God is so good to us, and he loves us so much. If we really want to thank him, we need to spread the news, spread his name. Cure for anxiety and worry is thanksgiving, and we'll do that this weekend as we gather around tables with family and friends for fellowship and good food. And make time, make sure your prayers are genuine, from the heart, we may even want to keep them short. But thank God for the people around us, for the food on our table, for the things we enjoy not something we should do just once a year or just once a week in worship, but every day. We have to express our gratitude to God, to thank Him for the message of love, care, forgiveness, and hope that we found in Jesus Christ. We have to thank God by anticipating that that great day when we'll all gather around that day of thanksgiving beyond the praise of God's divine goodness. Let's take a moment as we close. Father, you've given to us so many things in this world. So often we take so much for granted. We take for granted your goodness to us on a daily basis and providing us with the things that sustain our lives. We take for granted the lifestyle that we enjoy here in this world, and in this place, this province. We take for granted your grace and love and forgiveness. Father, so often we take these things selfishly, without saying thank you to you, or without sharing them in that attitude of forgiveness to others around us. Or generosity and the open-handedness to which you have shown to us father make our lives be transformed by your love by your forgiveness by your grace that as we work in connection with people around us as you give to us the things that we need for life and the opportunities to help and to make the name of Christ be proclaimed Father, help us to to open up our hands to be generous of heart and hand that Jesus might be worshipped and that people might see the transforming nature in our lives. Father, this weekend, may we remember you even with family members who may not even know you. May we be courageous to take moments to pray and to lift up your name. Father, may you be glorified. May you be honored. May your kingdom come, even day by day with us. In Jesus' name